0: Welcome to the truth about goats podcast in this episode we will be reading the first chapter of the secret forge a fantasy novel that lays the groundwork for the world of 12 arrows what's 12 arrows you may be asking well that is an excellent question 12 arrows is a comic book written by yours truly and drawn by Aaron Tolopilo currently in production as it turns out someone and I'm not going to say who got a little antsy and decided to write this book as an outlet for more information about Twelve Arrows, please check us out on Instagram at 12arrowscomic, where we try to keep everyone up to speed on our progress, or on our website, thetruthaboutgoats.com. This novel is a lot of fun, sure to give you your fantasy fix, and since this is the very first chapter, there's no need to catch you up to speed on what happened last time. Without further ado, here's The Secret Forge, Book 1, The Primal Age, Chapter 1, on the Dawning of Things and the Formation of the Twelve. What can with confidence be said of those days which lie now far beyond memory or knowledge, before mind, consciousness or thought, before spoken tongue what was and who can say? Those who dwell among the living cannot be trusted to know, and those who stood at the dawn of creation dwell with us no longer, or, if they do, speak no longer. But at the dawn of things, Abbas, which is the world, hung in the void. And the two great suns bathed her in light so that her days were golden, and her nights brief but full of stars, and her twilights stretched long in silver. Mists watered the world, and great clouds clung to the mountains, but on Abbas, before any other living thing yet breathed or had shape, dwelt the One who was before, the Dawning One, it has been called, and the Preeminent, or as it has been known in these later days, the Primal. Primordial and supreme, knowing neither creator nor language with which to know itself, it was, without being as we know it, belonging neither to sex nor shape as of any creature such as creatures are now, it knew only a will to master what was before it. How long the primal dwelt beneath those two suns, how many unsung eons dwelt this elder god in the solitude of space, none can know. But it is said that in those empty hours, mountains were raised and seas hollowed, only to be dragged down or drained. For whatever the preeminent one saw fit to do, either to create or to destroy, so it was done. For it knew neither master nor restraint, and was without reason. And under that bitter rule, Abbas may have endured forever in its barrenness, were it not at last for the coming of the twelve. Of the coming of the twelve what details can be given or proved in so much as the myths inform the twelve came into being separate from the power of the primal their manifestation into the long twilight of abbess was accompanied first by the silence of a world devoid of life and overhead the dome of stars far off and glittering without end into the night they were born without parent or guard so that the stars were the first lights that greeted them, and always the first beloved by them. Each coming in their own time and in their own shape, lingered and stared up at the stars, perceiving, as of yet, neither their own form nor the form of their kindred, understanding neither the nature of the world nor their own. Some rose from the churning water, others from the dark and silent woods, some from ravines in the stone, But whether they were born from the power of the primal, or came to be of another power, or a power all their own, none can say, only that they were utterly unlike the one who preceded them. But as they stood in wonder of the world, the primal, seeking respite from the heat of the sun, crossed the globe in seek of shade, and came beneath the cover of the bitter night, so that to the twelve, it was as though a shadow came over them, a shadow that breathed and moved. In fear they took to shelter, each in their own place, and so, for the first time, encountered one another in the dark, where two or more hid together. It's said that where they first came together, so their kindred was sparked. And even in those first moments, they were bound one to another, some in blood as brothers and sisters, others in the heat of partnership. Of those number, it is said that only three hid in the dark alone, and likewise, in the passing of time, made their dwelling apart. When the brief curtain of night was passed and twilight returned to the world, preluding the long light of day, the twelve looked out of their hiding places and saw the great shape of the primal asleep on the ground, its appearance like a dark mountain breathing out all the winds of the world. The twelve were afraid of the creature, but crept from their hiding spots and approached the great form uncertainly, sensing its power and life. But as they drew nearer, the primal opened his eyes, awakened by the rising suns, and his gaze settled on the shapes of the twelve, the first beings other than itself upon the entirety of the world. And the primal became alert with a bellowing roar that shook the earth, so loud and terrible that the twelve fled, not only into their hiding places, but beyond. And the primal, for reasons they knew not, but which caused in them terrible fear, pursued them, and sought constantly to catch them before they escaped into their caves or into the even more secret passages of the earth. But he did not catch them for all his efforts, and therefore the terrible wrath of the primal was turned against them, and they were hunted both day and night. But finding themselves in the darkness beneath the earth, or in the passages which are beyond the land of the living, the twelve took one another's counsel. And finding one another to be alike as kin, They began to uncover the secrets within their own mind, powers of reason, of intellect and will, and finally a spoken tongue with which they named themselves. Taking one another's counsel, they determined to speak to the great creature which hunted them and win it over if they could by reason or by charm and therefore ensure their survival. Three of the twelve were chosen and agreed to stand as emissaries of the rest who at that time were unnamed in the languages of the living things. The first was chosen for her courage and beauty, and the second for his strength and his power. The third they chose for the wisdom of his tongue and the majesty of his stature, which was among even the great twelve, noble and kingly. And emerging from their cave into the twilight of the world, they ascended to the highest point of the highest mountain that then existed on the world, where the primal's arms, though long, might not reach them. One of the three gleamed as bright and silver as the stars, she who later would be known as the stargazer, the unafraid, though at that time they were yet without form or spoken name. And at once the primal saw the light of her, as a star upon the earth, and it was amazed by her brilliance. But the creature calmed neither its bellowing nor its fuming, despite the words she spoke to assuage its wrath, and it attempted instead to climb up the mountain toward them, But another of the three raised his hands, and let out a loud call, and beat his chest with his hands, as if a drum. And snow fell all around them, covering the mountain, so that the primal's efforts to reach them were met at every turn with collapsing ice and sliding avalanches. And then it happened that the twilight expired, and the two suns rose above the horizon. And at their appearance, the radiance of the third among the three increased until he shone like gold as if a third sun had descended from on high and rested upon the crest of the mountain. Then the primal retreated to the foot of the mountain, its huge, dark bulk smarting and stinging from the brightness of the light, and hands cut by the ice and the cold and the lightning. Peace, cried the third in blinding light. Let thy raging and thy fuming be assuaged, thou which art noble and mighty, and no foe nor fiend to us. Tell us thy name, for surely thou art master of all that is before thee. But the primal, having no language and no understanding, made no answer, and fled back into the retreating night. So the twelve emerged from their hiding and lived on the mountain, safe from the reach and rage of the primal, who hunted them ever along the distant horizon and could be seen stalking in the twilight, as tall as the distant mountains and more terrible. But for a time the twelve were safe, guarded by walls of ice and snow which they deemed unassailable, and they took on names, each in their own kind, recorded here as they were known among the living things, for their secret names, or what names they might have known before the living things came, only they know. The three which had stood before the primal were these, Kiva, the stargazer, princess of the gods and favored daughter unrivaled in courage and beauty, who stood fearless before the wrath of the one who was before. Kokomo no Itaro, called Kokomo, lord of lightning and snow, who is seated on the wind, whose drums are the thunder of old, considered firstborn of the gods, though in ages long since he departed from the land of the living things and dwells in realms unseen. And Etsuro, king of the gods, lord of the greater rising sun, The tall and golden one, whose frame is most noble, whose light is from on high, whose spear reaches beyond heaven, most exalted one, whose power first stayed the primal's hand. The other nine, though equal in power and splendor, gathered to the three, safe within the girdle of Kokomo and the ice which he made to shield them. At the foot of radiant Etsuro they counseled and took wisdom. In the presence of Kiva, beautiful and fearless, they took courage and rejoiced, for even in those dark days her spirit was like a torch that ignited a fire in the heart of all those who saw her. But the fortress of the twelve was not destined to last forever, nor could the council of Etsuro foresee what was to come, nor the girdle of Kokomo withstand it. For in the secrecy of the night the primal crouched at the edge of the sky waiting for the two suns to sink below the edge of the world and he crept forth in the crawling shadow of the night dragging his belly across the ground which boiled and oozed with his rage such that whatever he touched turned gray and wasted to nothing and at last when the suns were gone and the light of Etsuro faded and the fires of feasting were dimmed atop the fortress the primal gathered up his rage as one might gather a cloak around him and he grew yet greater and stronger than he had been, such that there was nothing on that world his arm could not reach. And with power that shook the world even to its very core, which broke the mountains down to sand and caused fissures of fire to open in the ground, he assailed the mountain and seized the twelve where they were concealed. And they were imprisoned within the body of the primal and could not escape nor see any sign of the world without Such was the darkness of that terrible and ancient wrath. How long they remained imprisoned in the dark, none know, save that ages passed in the beast's belly, a darkness truer than any other darkness, a labyrinth of terrors that were never quelled. But though they were swallowed into that captivity one by one, in the dark the twelve found each other again and remade the alliance which had bound them all as kin, And though their eyes grew weak and weary with the darkness, they sought means by which they might escape. Then one of the nine, who had not faced the primal on the mountain, perceived in the darkness a plan by which they might escape, and told it to the others. And another of them, hearing it, mustered her power to achieve it. And she made a plan to enter into the mind of their captor where he dreamed, and convince him of terrible things to come by which they might achieve their freedom. This she did, convincing the beast to hear her words and hearken to them, for she showed him a vision of the world, slipping free of its appointed boundaries and sliding down the dark roads of the void toward the suns, where it grew hotter and hotter until even the strength of the primal was withered and scorched by an endless agonizing flame. Seeing the visions, the primal woke from his slumber, gripped with terror at the prospect of his own end. Then she who had poisoned his dreams cried out in familiar and fair voice, and said, Hearken to me, master of all that is before thee, free us, that we might be thy humble servants. Let us aid thee, and protect thee from this coming fire, we beg thee, for if thou givest each of us only a portion of thy great strength, then beside thee we might hold back this doom. So skilfully she spoke, having worn into that ancient mind her will for their release, The primal did as she bid, and freed the twelve. Staggering and half-blind, they re-entered the sunlit world. Mercilessly, the primal urged them to save him, but the goddess who had deceived him pled again, Master of all, without thy power, what can we do? Give each of us a portion of thy might, as I have asked, and we shall save thee from thy doom. Then seeing in its mind the vision renewed of scorched flesh and slow, brutal death, The primal did as it was bidden, and reaching out, it touched each of the twelve with a single claw and poured out twelve portions of its power. But such was the plan that was engineered in the darkness, that as the twelve became filled, the primal's power was divided twelve times over, and seeing too late the ruin in what it had done, the primal attempted to withdraw its claws, but the twelve seized the claws so that the creature could not draw back, And they drank from his power all the more so that the force of that endless and terrible life dwindled down to its dregs calling forth all skill wisdom and power the twelve turned their strength against their captor though the beast fought and raged four of the twelve gripped it by hand and foot and held it with strength inescapable though the monster snapped its teeth and lashed its fiery tongue therefore one of the twelve stepped forward and held closed its jaws though she was many times lashed and scorched for it, and afterwards cursed with the poison of the beast's malice. Then Kokomo, with the aid of Mitsuki-wa, she who schemed in darkness, and Kur, he whose forge first burned, crafted a cage like ice, but stronger and more infinite than ice, a crystal, the strength of which no object in the world could hope to break and they set the primal into it as one sets a gem into a crown, and sealed it up around him as one seals a tomb, so that the creature was bound, hand and foot and ill will alike, and the world was finally safe from its endless rage. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Please hit that follow button to make sure you get our next episode when it's released. And in the meantime, check out the website. There's still plenty of stuff on there I haven't had time to record yet. So if you need some words for your eyes instead of your ears, head over to the truthaboutgoats.com. I'd also like to thank a couple people for their help in making this podcast a reality. First, James, who gave me this mic and who has been blessing my ears with beautiful music for the last couple years. As a special limited offer, he can also bless your ears too on Spotify or find him on Instagram at Flanagan underscore James. I'd also like to thank Jordan and Jaris Hills who made this wonderful cover art and these beautiful, appropriately dramatic intro tracks. You can find them on Instagram at 13hills or Jairus Hills or follow their music page at Fox and Tiger Music. My recommendation would be to do all three. Thank you again for listening. We'll talk to you next week.